0: The Geopolitics and Empire podcast is joined by Ryan Christian of the famous or infamous Last American Vagabond channel. We'll be getting his thoughts on the election, the state of the world, and anything else that's on his mind, including COVID-1984. How are you doing, Ryan? Ryan? I'm doing great, brother. Thanks for having me on. Uh, as we were just
1: kind of chatting with before we started, it's, you know, we, he, we've been talking for quite a while, but it's the first time we've actually spoken, you know, face to face, as it were.
0: <laughs> yeah, finally, finally, we, we got some time. And, you know, I guess we can start with the contested election. Yeah, that's that's all the rage, all the news now. Um, I'll just give my take and then we'll get your take. Uh, so for me, it <laughs> seems that thus far that the Trump administration hasn't been putting up a strong fight. And it seems that the overtly globalist, big tech, left-wing Biden party will slip into power. Uh, However, you know, perhaps this is far from over. Some numbers, maps and charts are starting to come in that are shifting states from Biden blue to undecided. I have a feeling that Trump could win in the end through the Electoral College and the legal system, and that this could cause the radical Jacobin left to commence with the civil war or, or some form of it. Uh, And then we might have introduced, you know, some form of martial law or authoritarian rule. This obviously fraudulent election would then be used as as, as an example of how poor the voting system is and then perhaps be used as a pretext to bring in some form of technocratic blockchain voting system. Uh, Either way, for me, Biden or Trump would mean moving toward authoritarianism and technocracy. For me, Trump is more like uh, just buying us some more time a little bit. And perhaps brand trump for me somehow makes the tyranny feel just a little more palatable. So, you know, I do my podcast weekly. You cover these issues daily yourself and with guests, and you're more up to speed, I think, and in the thick of it. So what's your assessment?
1: Well, I, the whole thing I keep trying to drive in for everybody here is, is how obvious that this is not new, which doesn't mean that it's not important, doesn't mean that it's, you know, acting like we shouldn't concern about or people shouldn't be held accountable, but This, this, I mean, specifically this kind of voter fraud happens literally every single election we've had that I can look back on. I just did on a show. I went all the way back to 2008 and showed how, I mean, even in regard to Pennsylvania specifically, this kind of like running joke that every four years we have this issue with Pennsylvania and every four years, everybody screams about how it doesn't work. And every four years they do absolutely nothing about it. Right. So it's like, is this just, this is just part of the political theater, but that doesn't mean that people aren't actually cheating. Doesn't mean that there are not actually, you know, deceptions going on. It just means that at some level, this is meant to be the way this is because it's deceptive you know they can cheat from the shadows and they both do it they all do it right i mean but the point is that today they're acting like seemingly more so on the democrat side that that's just like a myth (laughs) even though you can point to uh, cnn and the rest of them and npr saying look 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 at the republicans doing this you know back then and now it's a myth but whereas you have the republican side now Almost acting like this is unprecedented. This is never seen dead people voting, which, by the way, take 10 seconds, everybody out there and look up dead people voting every election you've ever heard of. And you'll find not just people talking about it, but attorney generals giving you proof different, you know, governors or politicians or people just pointing it out. Here's obvious dead people who were voting, you know, happens every time. So here we find ourselves in a situation where it's happening again. So we should be asking ourselves whether or not this is just part of the illusion that we're being fed. Do I think that there's been cheating a hundred percent? I think it happens every single time. I will admit that I definitely see it more so, at least as far as I can tell on the Democrat side in this case, but I've seen a lot different Republican side sort of manipulations trying to play in the perceptions and, you know, putting out false information. And there's a lot going on here, but It's clear, in my opinion, that there was votes that were manipulated, even in regard to flipping. We've talked about the, you know, the manipulation on like a coding level on the machine and software level, which something I pointed out yesterday where we have Dominion voting. And by the way, this is something that Whitney and I talked about like a month ago. And now it's all the rage the last couple of days. And I just hate how that happens. It gets buried in my long videos. I know that. But there's things that we covered a while ago. But Dominion voting. Is tied to the Clinton Global Initiative, and then of course we have the system uh, Smartmatic software that's tied to George Soros. The guy who runs that is literally on the board of his Open Society Foundation. You know, so these are things that seem very interesting as we're watching these votes flip and so on. And you know, I mean, I could go, I could talk about this for so long just to kind of wrap up my long-winded first answer. Is that it's obvious that there is manipulation happening, and I think right now how it plays out is giving us a lot of indication that to me it seems like like to your point. It doesn't seem like Trump is is really doing what you think he might do. Like he is he is glaringly quiet right now in regard to his Twitter account when this you would think this is the air when they go to his account because we want to hear what you have to say, not what media has to say. And people are going, where are you? We need your information. You know, the people that support him. And, And in regard to the DOJ it's interesting that people are kind of arguing that now there's like this back end kind of action happening from the DOJ that they're going to be investigating in this but Bill Barr only really said if there is obvious thing you know uh, evidence of this then we will do something that doesn't really sing about you know going after the criminals you know but again the overarching point this is the way our system is and i think we need to wake up to that
0: yeah and mr trump has been playing golf right um and speaking of the election uh the the as you're pointing out in in this particular case it's, it's the democrats let's say but you know going back to 2000 with uh bush and gore i never was a republican bush fan and uh you know that perhaps was a case of the the vote uh manipulation in uh, in favor of the republicans uh at that point uh, as well as you mentioned this the the minion voting stuff i think it's in 30 states if i if i'm not mistaken mm-hmm. where they're using the majority the- for sure yeah, and and just on the final point of the whole Trump thing where uh, I think you know we have we, we know about how Hollywood uh, and the Pentagon work together. A lot of the Hollywood movies and TV shows are, you know, co-written with with Pentagon with with the military. And it's almost and we can't tell the difference between, anymore between reality and, and and entertainment and I have a feeling though they've scripted this whole thing almost like a like a Hollywood film and that we're waiting for this big, you know, comeback uh, of Trump. So it's just it's just really uh unpredictable. And, you know, Joe Biden, he's been advancing now. He's talking with world leaders. Um, he's putting together his, his team. And it kind of looks <laughs> insane. We've got, if I'm not mistaken, Rahm Emanuel's brother appointed to his COVID-1984 task force, who's a bioethicist, eugenicist, who, calls, who called for, in an article he wrote for Atlantic, for people basically to die at age 75. Uh, we've got Rick Darkwinter Bright uh, on Joe's uh, upcoming team. Uh, Biden's called for mandatory masks nationwide, and I'm sure mandatory vaccines. It seems like the, you know, if this goes through, it seems like the official end of the American Republic and the start of, you know, I don't know what you call it, world government under the auspices of the UN and company and supranational partners. And they're, you know, the largest financial and corporate institutions. And, you know, it seems that um, this means total dystopian technocracy. And, Perhaps war with Russia and China, because people are saying, you know, obviously Biden, who was on the Obama team, they were war hawks uh against Russia and now they're stepping it up against China. So, you know, if let's say Biden comes in to power, what would that look like? Exactly what we just saw the last four years, right? I mean, that's the point. Like
1: what you described there, I'm thinking, and how is that any different than what we were just you know, the end of the day, and this is what's so frustrating, is that people that are lost in the two-party paradigm, they won't allow themselves to see the negative things about their side. And so the problem is that we they don't want to admit that that's the case. But the difference is all you really have is you have a person who is acting reluctant about the things that end up happening versus somebody who openly talks about the things that end up happening. But the things end up happening. And that's the and that's the point. Whether Trump goes, you know, we shouldn't be doing this and then allows it all to roll forward or not. It still happens. And that's the problem. Trump had an obligation as the president to stop all these unconstitutional actions, and I would argue so, too, does Biden. But the fact is, none of them are doing anything about it. And whether you pass the buck to the governors, which is the only time in history they've ever cared about states' rights, it appears, or they just roll it out as a you know gung-ho effort. We're seeing the same mask mandates. We're seeing the same technocratic push. We're seeing the same vaccine drive. I mean, Trump just tweeted out about the vaccine. Oh, vaccine's coming. Hooray. And, you know, let me know if you want to get into that, because I've got a lot to say about the lies, the 90 percent effective ridiculousness of these trials designed to succeed. But I mean, the fact I mean, this whole thing seems like they're trying to get us to argue with each other about something like the fact that the whole media is calling him the president elect right now. That's just simply not true. It hasn't happened yet. I mean, they're just because the media says it doesn't make it true. They haven't been actually certified. The secretary of states of the the states haven't actually it hasn't happened yet. And yet they're all just pushing it forward. And I think that's to get us to stop paying attention to those things, to the technocratic revolution that we're seeing happen all around us. And I I, I think the more point is the only thing that we're going to see change is the way that they're talking about what has been happening. Right. Think about that. Like the, the way that Trump is saying all these things, but the actions are still going forward in the same way under Biden, you know? And I wanted to throw out a quick point about, you mentioned blockchain. This is a really interesting point for me because this is very clearly something that's tied up with the idea of this technocratic drive. But the same way that the internet was a, t- was a tool that was used arguably to subjugate us clearly didn't work out for them, right? I mean, at least in the way that they expected. So like any tool it's it's more, it's it's it can go, it, it can be used in any such way, right? I mean, it's possible to go in either direction. So in regard to blockchain, it's just simply a technology. So when I, I actually argue that the best case scenario, whether it's blockchain or some other variation would be something like this in regard to voting, because it's something where we could have ledgers where they wouldn't be able to manipulate or so, you know, anything's potentially manipulatable, but to where it's open and people could see it. And I argue that's why that's that they're not doing so in regard to like let's say military spending if you had a blockchain ledger that could keep track of their spending well, we would know what they were doing and they wouldn't be able to get away with all the manipulations right and you know i'm not an expert so i you know if there's somebody out there that has a better argument for why it's the you know technocracy 101 coming our way well i'm open to it but i definitely think that the blockchain like think about the mail in ballots and all the stuff that they're doing you could argue that that was a way to like set up the the justification for this new type of system, but I th- I would be very surprised if they go towards some kind of a blockchain ledger system that was actually like taking the right style and not something that is secretive and qu- you know something that they can control, you know, like it has to be open source and every- or rather just open for everybody to be able to see who voted where and so on, you know, and I do think that that is what we should be driving for because right now it's just, I argue, I-, I wonder whether anybody's vote actually affects anything that ends up happening in this country.
0: Yeah, that's one of the reasons I kind of don't spend the time, money, and energy to to vote here from abroad. Uh, but before we get to Corona Bin Laden, as I call it, or and the vaccines, finishing up with the election stuff, you had a great interview recently with with Vanessa Billy on um, you know this idea of false false flags everywhere. You know they're gonna false flag us to death, and you know uh, COVID nineteen is as I was spoke with Spiros Kuros back in March. Um, in that episode, he called it "Global 9/11," which it is. It's like 9/11. On, it's like the ultimate uh, form of false flag 9/11. And now there's this talk of these EMP electromagnetic pulse uh, attacks coming out, taking down the electric grid, the internet grid. Uh, you know, if if something like that happened, that would put a stoke in their wheels for the you know bringing in this whole digital currency cashless system, or, or maybe not. I don't know. So, I mean, what what are your thoughts on the possibility of an EMP uh, attack?
1: I mean, it's it's been something that people have talked about for a while. I mean, it's very clearly a genuine threat. It's very clearly something that that should be discussed and acknowledged. But it seems odd that all of a sudden now it's it, and almost quietly has had a lot of discussion. Trump passing, you know, mandates or orders about it in regard, you know, underneath the cover of all this chaos of election and covid. You know, multiple multiple discussions coming out about how China is going to be using that in their next attack even though there wasn't one that we can, you know, the next attack. That's the way they frame these things, you know? And I definitely think it's something we should be thinking about and talking about. But I think what's interesting in the in the discussion that, that you just talked about is that it's not, I don't think this is a different thing. This is 9-11. This is the extension of that same agenda, right? And that's what all of this, that was, I wouldn't even argue even that was the beginning, but that was one of the first big cataclysmic events that really set up the scenario that allowed them to build what they're currently driving in, as sort of an endgame scenario now, but it is. I mean, they're called. They're talking about the new 9/11, and they're they're really bringing in terms like Ground Zero in regard to the election. Like they want us to be thinking about this. And I keep saying this that the moment that we introduce or somebody somewhere introduces a biological aspect to this chaos and the narrative that Iran's going to hit us with a cyber attack. What that does instantaneously brings together both of these discussions. Now, suddenly you've got the white nationalist Iranian, which doesn't even make sense, groups coming around to try to use cyber attacks to undermine our elections, but they use a bio attack because they're hate our freedom or whatever. Now you've got the the medical pre-crime stuff. You've got these COVID contact tracing. Now you've got all these discussions that all kind of blend together, which really makes this big picture of this kind of binational biosecurity state which is what all of this really was about. And you can trace all of these things back to the same entities that tie back to 9-11, including the same foreign entities in regard to the Israeli government and and numerous groups that clearly are involved with the direction of all of this. And and I think that in regard to the EMP, it's just another extension of the same running false flags that we've been seeing from these same bi-national security state or now biosecurity state that they've been using forever. Duma, we know as a matter of fact, was a false flag. Right. With same thing. I mean, you got things like Bolivia, where they completely made up an entire claim just to overthrow an entire country. So would they be willing to one use an EMP to knock out the grid so they could blame it on somebody? I think that's a no brainer. I'm not saying I know a fact it'll happen, but that's a that's based on history, that's like a 50 50, right? It's like they've done stuff like that. But then the other discussion would be whether or not there's an acting party out there that would actually do it, sort of like the, you know, the their moderate rebels, as they used to call them, which we now are just, you know, terrorists that they're funding. And that's the kind of idea. So Vanessa Bealy brought this to the table because she's hearing chatter from people in the UK that have clearances that are saying, like, this is what we see coming and not not from like a government level, but people reaching out to her to say, like, we think this is what the government is doing. And that's some scary stuff. And now given it's, you know, it's it's sources coming from an investigative journalist, people out there take it for what they will, but it's a very logical thing to be asking with how, I mean, if they did that, that would be kind of like the final straw. This would all drive forward and people would be simultaneously afraid of foreign entities. And you got the whole terrorism, war on terrorism, failure, the COVID scenario. So they're all afraid of, you know, of viruses and whatever else. And you bring in an attack from a bioweapon and it's just, it would completely shut down. I think we can all see how that's going. Even if we all secretly think that it's not real or that they're lying, it would be the end of what we're doing right now, sadly enough. And we need to fight that.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's false flags everywhere. Like the case with um, what happened in Michigan, where supposedly this right group was going to kidnap the governor. And I remember years ago, I did an interview with Trevor Aronson, who wrote the book on how FBI manufactures uh, all the domestic terrorism, where there has been no terrorism. And every single case like this and, and before I, as soon as I heard that news, I knew what had happened. And I was expecting to read the news article and hear about an FBI informant that was pushing along this group to kidnap the governor. And that was exactly what I read. An FBI informant had been pushing these guys to kidnap the governor. And then we had this recent terror attack in Austria, and which is crazy because, I mean, was that a false flag? Because... Now the UK just said they're going to amend, you know, their powers to to give themselves more power and take away freedoms from the citizens based on the pretext of this terror attack. So it's it's just this stuff. People just don't wise up.
1: That I mean, that, and that is that is 100%, that's the diametric opposite of any kind of representative government, any kind of democracy, which is what they literally say they're protecting. That's that's the Orwellian world we're in, the double speak where they are taking from you by, like, think about it in regard to COVID, where they're destroying your life to save your life. It just doesn't make any sense. To see someone like that, they are using powers in the middle of an emergency to give themselves more powers. They're dictators. This is an authoritarian government. That's what that is.
0: Yeah, and so let's get into it. I mean, that's the biggest theme. Of the day, the, the whole um, biosecurity, the, the idea that people have to realize now we're moving into biopolitics and biosecurity, which is means now the government has total control over all living organisms, over our body. I mean, that's, that's what they want. They want us to push into this biopolitic state. Um, and so, you know, moving now into COVID-1984, the vaccines, um, you know, dark winter quarantines, you know, where do you, where do you want to start? What are the issues that are most important uh, on your mind regarding all of this stuff?
1: I, you know, I think with it's just we're at a point now where every single aspect of this narrative, and I mean every single aspect and I challenge anybody to point out where I'm wrong on that, has numerous examples of why these things are not sound. They should be questioned. Whether you're talking about the lockdowns and the science behind them, or the fact that the correlation behind the lockdowns seem to be aligned with exactly when all the death starts. And then when they start to loosen, seem to have the drop in deaths, right? And it's just correlated. There's all these things or whether discussions of masks and the science behind it. And every random controlled trial that says that they are not statistically significant in reducing transmission. It's not my statement. That's from the NIH. But now it's fake news because they changed their mind. It doesn't make any sense. There's a lot of things happening like that. And, and you know, or even the idea that this has been isolated. I've shown th- new two examples from the CDC and one from the FDA just referencing the CDC where they admit that this has not been isolated. They did not meet Koch's postulates. Right. These are all very, very real things. These aren't conspiracy theory. Like These are very clear things that you can look up. And so it, the question is why are we not why are we allowing them to continue to push forward something that we can clearly see is based on at the very least numbers that are not verified such as the numbers in regard to deaths or cases that we have a test with the PCR test where even the New York Times admitted upwards of 90% could be false positives you know what i mean and that's that's all fine and good if you want to err on the side of caution but you can't use those numbers then to restrict human rights restrict constitutional rights to do all the things that they're doing because they just told you that they're not valid So that, I mean, where I feel this is the most important right now is the fact that this is over. The COVID scandal is very clear that they are lying to us. The number, I mean, think about going from 3.6% to now 0.02, even according to the CDC. That's the death, that's infection fatality rate. And then wonder if that is even correct. Seeing as how they lied and lied and lied and lied until we kept pushing it. They censored videos, they hid the information, and then they grudgingly admitted, yeah, it's only a really severe flu. But they won't even say that now even though they censored people for claiming it was about the flu, right? It's it, it's And of course, the information that everybody under 80 is pretty much not at risk, right? I mean, it's just really crazy scenarios that we're in. And what we're talking about here is they're using all this stuff to scare people into allowing a situation, a system that they've always been trying to drive in. As we pointed out numerous times, whether it's the plan about AI and battling China or pre-crime it's now medical pre-crime or you know contact tracing these are all things that they've been trying desperately to force in for at least two decades as far as i can tell what using mass shootings one year terrorism the next year school shootings next one right you know or whatever it is it's all these different excuses and now we're just using covid19 and as that continues to taper off as the information shows it's not as valid as they want it to seem we need to be asking those questions you know i mean it's, it's just so frustrating to see
0: and i i'm trying to like boil it down in my mind as well and when i talk with people i mean in my mind it's either two things it's like it's either a low grade bioweapon or there is no virus and they've just relabeled uh the things that people usually get sick with uh and call it covid on top of this psychological terror they're terrorizing us daily and people are you know people are being isolated and that's causing a lot of people to to get sick uh, as well. So like, you know, when I tried to, I was talking with someone yesterday, because I'm here in Mexico, and you know, maybe there are higher numbers, I don't know, in in, in Mexico, and they say, Oh, you know, so many more people are dying. And I'm like, I mean, how do you know? Is that just because the government reports it? How do you actually know how many people are, are sick or dying? So I mean, what would you boil it down to? I mean, is it just an entire fraud?
1: Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's certainly possible. I, I don't know. I, I don't know why anybody would know that for sure at this point. You know what I mean? Like, it, I could give you my opinion. And I think 100% there is fraud. 100% there is an illusion to all of this. But I don't know whether, like to your point, that maybe there is something that's just kind of a, you know, they a, 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 a toyed a toy with something as we know they're doing. Dr. Boyle, as you interviewed yourself, has, admit, has said that this is numerous times we've proven that they're meddling with these things and they're putting them out, gain of function research and so on. So whether it was something that was done just to appear as if it was serious, but not really be serious so they could use it to play or, you know, to force the agenda, or it's just completely manufactured, those are valid questions. I am leaning more towards at this point that this is at the very least aggressively, like, look, you could make the obvious claim here. They stopped counting flu for this season. They already admitted that. They stopped keeping track of hospital capacity in July and never even told anybody, but you can look at their website and see that it says from July 14th on this will no longer be updated. Right? So they they they're toying with these things. And then we can find out that even the flu before as well as COVID now, when they report these numbers, they blend together. pneumonia and in this case with COVID, they blend in flu and pneumonia, especially since they're not counting it now, right? So now you have this, basically you can show that flu deaths are dramatically lower right now for this period compared to literally every year before this. So you have to wonder whether that's just what's happening. And then you have pneumonia added to that. You've got flu added to that. You've got the deaths that keep happening because of the lockdowns, which is, that's not a, that's not a question. So you can argue whether or not it's a higher amount or not. Every Even the scientists in regard to, you know, talking about COVID-19 are admitting that the lockdowns are causing side effects, right? So you can see a picture there where you could potentially see a spike that could be attributed to something that may not be there. The question then would be, how would all these people be tricked by it or be go along with it, however you want to look at it? But that's not a, a valid question. It's more of a fallacy. And it's the same reason they ask like with a the conspiracy theory, you know, how can so many people be involved and it won't get out? That's a fallacy. Because the way these things work is t- top-down control. People, there's few people at the top that know what they're doing, and there's people that believe them that only know what they need to know to execute their job. And in the case of this, we know that in the beginning, there was material scraped from lungs in China that was then deemed COVID-19. They did not meet Koch's postulates, which is the gold standard to deem whether this is a virus that is infecting people and it is causing what they think this is. And they didn't do that. They tried, didn't succeed. So they just did something else. That's not how that works. Right, And so people like Dr. Kaufman are willing to admit that, and they get attacked for admitting that truth. Right, So now you have something that hasn't been proven to be there, that they came from China, that they scraped, and then started doing a test that has a lot of high uh, high possibility for false positives to then deem it the the COVID-19. But as numerous scientists have pointed out, using PCR tests to confirm that it works is like using a pregnancy test to confirm that a pregnancy test works. It doesn't make any sense. So you're at a point now where we're completely going on faith. But then it gets pushed out into the world. People start panicking. Oh my gosh, look at what's happening in China. And now you have a test that you're told test for COVID-19. Doctors are told and taught as they come through the process to blindly take at face value, CDC information, all these information from these these places. So it's not that far fetched to think these doctors are seeing things happening, whether that's flu or something that's low grade and not that serious. They see stuff. They see people getting scared and they just test it and they go, oh man, they have COVID-19. The test said so. And there you go. Right, and the whole time it could be something that was not even really there, or it could be something that's not actually what they think it is. Those are not that far fetched, you know. And it's just hard; it's frustrating that we can't have an open dialogue about this in mainstream circles. And that I don't know why that doesn't show people more than anything what's really happening right now, you know.
0: Yeah, and I'm, I mean, as you mentioned that point, there are a lot of people that, yeah, I've, I've been teaching and talking about this stuff for over a decade. And you know, people call you crazy, and there's a lot of people now that consider you crazy. Like starting to listen to you now because it's so something is so obviously not right. Like the narrative, they've crossed the Rubicon in terms of believability in, in the narrative that they're selling us. So a lot of people are are questioning things. They're afraid, though. They're they're complying because they're afraid of the consequences of not complying. But right. let's look let's look at the vaccine issue then, because I feel like where all of this ultimately is pushing us. You, you mentioned it before. You know, nine eleven now COVID. And the ultimate goal is, is what I've said from the, the beginning. Um, this is social credit. I did an amazing interview with Edwin Black, the Jewish historian in June. And he he basically said it then that, you know, this whole contact tracing uh, stuff and cashless society and digi- digital currencies, you know, because physical money will get you sick. Uh, the end goal is this, technoc- this dystopian technocracy that will be this social credit system where ultimately, if you don't comply, you'll basically be locked out of it and you'll die from uh, starvation because you won't be able to buy anything but you know before we get to that aspect there's the vaccine issue and uh, you know you know a lot about that you've been you've been interviewing people about it you've been researching it Um, so for for the vaccine issue you know they make a lot of money number one from the vaccines Um, they make a lot of people sick uh, vaccines you know people used to call me anti-vaxxer how about Uh, No vaxxer, you know, because if you do the research, you see that, you know, I haven't had a vaccine in like two decades and I'm perfectly fine. So, you know what? And um, but the other issue is there's that Microsoft patent from from, uh, March that's called that's uh, numbered 060606, where it takes the human body and it where it's connected to like um, a sensor, something like a Fitbit that connects your smartphone and then sends information to to the cloud. So it seems like with this vaccine, um, and it's the first time that it's a vaccine that alters your DNA, and they want to inject you multiple times. So, you know, what's the story with the vaccines?
1: And yeah, and I believe that's actually the patent is really alarming. And that's, I think that's blockchain based, right? So you can see how these things can very clearly be used in very nefarious ways, right? So it's just kind of up to how we apply it, you know, but the vaccine, it's so, I'll take this opportunity to jump into that Pfizer point in here, because I think this makes it really clear. And, and even before that, the idea is this is very odd, and this is not hard to find out. It's I think you should ask off the bat why this is hard to find out, especially for how alarming this is, that we're dealing with a vaccine that is... A, in, in it's either R, R, uh, RNA or DNA vaccines both of which are experimental both of which are using technology in regard to vaccines that have never in the before this period of time ever been successfully done and they have been trying so we should be asking first of all why they just magically made it work this time after all these efforts before but the fact that it's not something that has ever been tested on humans until now they skip the animal phase trials because you're in danger and i keep making this point how crazy it is for them to be for them to say we're going to skip safety trials because you know we're going to skip safety trials for your safety that's actually the argument when you really boil it down because we're in, we're in danger because covid-19 so we need to rush this thing out so we're skipping the part where we find out if it's safe how does that make sense to anybody you know and they're rushing it out and in regard to and and it's something in regard to the genetic one the dna or the uh, r the excuse me rna vaccine all these acronyms It's something that will 100% modify your body. And that's not a secret. As it says right in the information, it's not a typical vaccines. If you believe in how they tell you they work are supposed to create the response to create antibodies, right? Or introduce your body with, you know, some part of the virus dead or not that creates the antibodies. So your body is effectively doing a natural thing, but the vaccines triggering that. In regard to the vaccines we're talking about, they're not dealing with the virus. This is designed to change your body. So your body deals with that virus or any virus differently. It's in specifically in regard to COVID-19 in this case. And so your body is being trained and actually manipulated to do a different thing when it comes in contact with that virus. And maybe that will work, or maybe it'll have a lot of weird side effects because like I said, they've never actually done this. And the whole thing about the pharmacovigilance, they call it, is the fact that they will be monitoring anybody that takes this vaccine for two years, two years. That means your social media information. That means your biometrics. That means how you're everything. They're going to be monitoring it because guess what? You are the guinea pig. You, they will monitor these vaccines in your body longer than they're testing them for safety. Let that sink in because that's the test. You are the test. Now, the point is in regard to Pfizer even Forbes wrote this out and made it clear that these are not safety tests. These, tri- these trials are designed to succeed, which means by default that they're not safety tests. Because if you're, the whole point is they should be difficult to pass, so you know that they're safe, right? In this case, normally about thirty to sixty thousand people in one of these trials. In, mo- in, in regard to Pfizer, which is the one they said was 90% effective, we all heard and they all talked about, there's, it boils down to in the interim and the primary about seven people that have to end up not having symptoms out of about 59, I believe, and that is considered success. And in regard to the, uh, the, the primary, it's only out of 164 people when it should be 30,000 or 60,000 because you're in danger. Think about how dumb that is. And so now all they needed for 90% effective is to have one person get symptoms out of seven. Now, really, if you boil that down, that means that one in seven could potentially get sick. (laughs) Think about how many people that is in this country. And that's 90% effective according to their safety study.
0: Yeah, and the liability issue. I mean, those of us that have studied these things, it's like it's it's obvious, but most people don't understand that. For any product, any medical product, you know, you you can sue, any product, you know, you can always, there's a warranty, you can sue uh, if if it damages you. But with vaccines, for some reason, there's no liability, which is a huge red flag. It's like, so you're telling me if I get paralyzed or, you know, die, no one gets in in trouble. I mean, that doesn't make any sense.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's the vaccine injury compensation court, but that's a joke in and of itself because the taxpayers pay for that. So to your point, for those who don't know, which your your viewers probably know since you, you probably talked about it, but there the that this was I think 1986, the act in 1986, and they removed liability from all of these vaccine companies, and, and the argument was literally because they were afraid that frivolous lawsuits which is just, they're just, you you know, who knows some of them are probably real, but they're just all frivolous that because of that, we're worried that the vaccine companies will stop making them because it's not profitable for them. So so instead of saying, oh, people are getting sick and injured. So we need to look into that. They just put an immunity on it and which gives them the opportunity to not really care about it moving forward. So you have a situation where people were getting sick and they just gave them more possibility to not care about that. It's outstanding. It doesn't make any sense. And since then we've seen... $4 $4 billion or more people, money get, uh, dollars get paid out in that compensation court from your pocket. Now, in regard to this comp, this one, it's even worse as I understand it because the HHS has the potential to, uh, they've already given immunity to all of these vaccine companies before it's even been made. Think about how dumb that is. Then on top of that, the HHS has the ability to give immunity to any aspect of this process. So, like this is what I thought was so crazy. So nurses, you know, people transmit all kinds of things. So if a nurse is ad- ad- administering the vaccine, I've made this kind of facetious joke before, trips and pokes you in the eye with the syringe, well, you can't sue them because they've got immunity from the whole process. And that's not really a joke. That's that Everybody's got immunity from all this. And that is just outstanding. I mean, the idea that that can even be possible. And then, of course, we added the fact that the people in charge of that, HHS, the person in charge of the Strategic National Stockpile, the Assistant Secretary for Preparedness and Response, that's Robert Kadlec. He's the guy who was involved with the anthrax false flag in regard to the anthrax vaccine, more more in particular, that was used, forced on people in the military that they knew wasn't safe. That's proven. They knew it wasn't safe. They knew it wasn't tested. And so, too, was a product they just recently talked about. I forget the name off the top of my head. They just got caught for another one. And yet he's still in the position. He's completely in charge of making the stockpile, choosing which vaccines to use and working with his, his company by Bio, Emergent BioSolutions. They're going to be distributing it. I mean, these are groups that have been caught cheating and lying and hurting people. And they're in the position to keep you safe.
0: It's outrageous. Yeah. yeah, I like what Robert Kennedy Jr. has said about this. I mean, he's a lawyer. He's taken these people to court, pharmaceuticals and corporations. And he's he's won many cases. And he said that these are convicted criminals. So the people who want to inject us with with these unknown s- substances, foreign animal uh, DNA, you know, foreign human uh, DNA, like the boarded uh, baby cells. Um, they're all convicted criminals with all their other different products, right. Um, medicines and drugs. And, and he says like, but all of a sudden, you know, we're supposed to believe them on vaccines. You know, they've found Jesus on vaccines, but in every other case, they, they, they they're corrupt. They've been convicted. They've killed people with all of their other drugs. This I don't see any difference uh, with this. But then you know, moving on beyond vaccines, we've got this contact tracing stuff. I, I've been reading now. You can't go into Canada as soon as you come into Canada. Uh, you got to download an app, and and then they're going to be contact tracing you and quarantining you. I was just flying within Mexico, and and uh, I was in Mexico City. And to come back from Mexico City, you you, you had to use, use a, your phone app. And I asked for the paper. And she's like, oh, we don't have the paper. And I'm thinking, like, you know, you have to look at a QR code or go to a website and fill out a quick form. And I'm like, what if I don't have a smartphone? Does that mean I can't fly? You know, it's mm-hmm. it's it's crazy. So, you know, what other issues do you see g- going forward with the, with the contact tracing? With Now there's this talk of these quarantine camps. There's, like, they're building a dozen in Canada of these COVID quarantine camps. And in New Zealand's like, this is stuff is truly frightening. I'm like, I feel like we're moving I feel like this is the fourth Reich, you know, like what the Nazis couldn't do uh, in the nineteen forties. It's like these people have come back and wanna do this on a global scale. it's it's, it's really scary
1: or it never really went away right It was a project paperclip brought in all the people that were working on all these eugenic scientific projects and now they're working as NASA and that's not a conspiracy theory right that's that what was that was the basis for NASA you know the, the idea behind all of this stuff though is that it's that, that what you kind of centered on there is is the really alarming part the societal and or and or financial exclusion the argument is oh I'll never make it mandatory Right now, that'll never happen, but it doesn't need to happen because as you're even short, you just pointed out in regard to the plane situation, that's already discussed. They are openly saying they're having, there's one called Wise Pass, I believe, that's already instituted the vaccine card part of this for when the vaccine gets ready. So you will not be able to fly on these airlines if you don't prove that you had the vaccine. So whether or not they force it on you, suddenly you can't fly anywhere. Tomorrow, it's the restaurants. After that, it's, it's your corner stores. I mean, it doesn't matter. It's going to keep growing. And you will not be able to function in society. As you pointed out, the social credit is a very clear part of this, you know, that that's just about the vaccine. But suddenly that's going to be broadened out to your your score on whether, oh, were you critical of the government online? Oh, that's not allowed. Now, suddenly you've got a low credit score, you know, or low social credit score. And this is exactly what people like James Corbett have been pointing out for years about China and other places as the U.S. pretends like, ooh, China, bad guy, while they actively try to make themselves exactly like what they're doing. You know, it's it's pretty ridiculous. But that's where this is going in regard to the vaccine. I, I'm pretty certain of it. I mean, it's our, the Operation Warp Speed already has it listed that there will be a vaccine card in regard to this, so they can keep track of what you. Have. And that's not totally new, but it is new once you realize that on the other side of it, you already have the airliners going. Oh, good, we're going to use that to make sure you can't get on this plane unless you have that card. And it gets they have an app all ready for it, and the whole thing, you know. And then the CDC camps are really important because that's this isn't again. It's so it's people are so quick. To hear something that they think sounds like conspiracy and just go, oh, well, that's dumb. Except that this is right on the CDC website and you could read it for yourself. And how it clearly says that they of one of three options to be completely clear. There's they, they discuss possible in-home quarantine. They discuss this. But the third one is camps with one open way in and out with food and this and that. And it sounds like a prison to me. And you don't you're not allowed to make that choice. Now, Be to be clear. You're also not allowed to choose whether or not you get put in the home version or something else. None of this is your choice. So whether it ends up being a camp, which is really alarming, or that you get forced into your home, it's equally authoritarian. And remember, it's based on numbers that are really not there, right? If they said this last year in regards to the flu, would you have been okay with it? You know, I mean, this is where we are right now. A point that someone keeps making that I think is important is, you know, why didn't we get all freaked out about the tuberculosis pandemic last year when over a million people died? Right. I guess we don't care about that one. Right. It's like it's just because it's about how the media focuses on it and how they use it. You know, and again, to the point to where they won't let people like us have dialogue about this stuff, it shows you that there's something they're trying to control. And I really do believe it's this contract tracing surveillance network that's at least to start. And I think it grows out into the technocratic world that they're building for sure.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And regarding the people you say that, you know, laugh at you and call you conspiracy theorists, it's like you can't dialogue with them anymore because it's like, like you said, it's on, it's on the CDC website. It actually, they could take one minute to go read. It's it's there on the CD, CDC website, but they don't want to dialogue. They just want to mock you. As well as in Canada, you had a Canadian politician in the Canadian parliament asking the politicians, like, we have an official order of building 12 covid Quarantine concentration camps. It's not a fr- conspiracy theory.
1: And you even heard people laughing. I remember I reported that, and the people in the political in in their chamber were laughing at him, like other politicians, like that. And it's not. It's, he's holding the paper up. You know, it's you could look it up for yourself. That's crazy because they they know that they want to make sure it seems like this is a a fake. You know, it's it's a story, a conspiracy conspiracy theory. And to your point, though, I think it's interesting. It's so broken what you described and what people will do, even if you say get them to look at the CDC website. They'll look at it and be like, oh, it does say that. Well, this this is probably, they're probably corrupt. You know what I mean? It's like, they, they just won't let it happen. And it's right to be skeptical, but not to dismiss information because it doesn't align with what you think. And you're, you're right. That's the biggest problem today. And that's the two-party paradigm doing that.
0: Yeah. And, and now, I mean, to look, you know, what do we do, how to respond? Uh, I remember when I asked Edwin Black this in June and, you know, he gave a very, very solemn answer. He's like, you don't want to be here on the planet when this system is up and running because it's going to be global and you just don't want to be alive here when, <laughs> when this happens. But in the in the meantime, you know, looking at things, how do we respond? What do we do? I mean, I think the first is being informed because the more you know about how the world is functioning, the, the better you can make your daily individual uh, decisions uh, as as well as, you know, what you're doing, what I'm doing is um, discussing and, and and talking about these things. But then, you know, some people uh, in, the resist- in the resistance have called for us to become ungovernable, you know, which I take to mean living outside of this power structure as much as, as possible, being anti-fragile, you know, making it difficult for the powers to be, uh, to nail us down. Because, you know, the smart cities, they're building these smart city grids, right, with pre-crime and cashless societies. So becoming ungovernable means, you know, maybe going out into rural areas, having an urban garden. Uh, Agrism. Right and kind of getting uh, as much as possible outside of this system, so you'll be a- affected. You know, gr- going on a farm, growing your your own food, having a network of of like minded people. So you know, besides you know having a YouTube channel, uncovering all of this stuff. You know, how do we, how do we respond to all of these things that are happening? Well, I, I think it's important
1: more than ever, and I and I get where he's coming from. The person you're talking about, I, and I understand that it's it can seem insurmountable and it can seem. You know, like, like, like that, like, you know, there's nothing to do. Just don't be here, you know, but <clears throat> the sad, the truth is that this is that we have more power than we realized. And we always have. Right. And the only reason this is happening is because we are changing things. Right. I can't say that enough. What's happening now is the beginning of something, not the end. And it's important for people out there to see that. And if you just start going, oh, well, this is going to be bad. Oh, you know, this is going to be a terrible world they're building. And it's like, well, then you're going to have that right? You are man- you are creating your reality. You are making sure that that is your, vi- that's what you will be living in when this happens. I am creating my reality. And I realize that we have the power to fight this. People out there need to realize that, see past the two-party paradigm and stand up and actually speak out about things, speak out about these things. And to your point, Obviously, staying informed is the first and most important point. And that doesn't mean, you know, sadly, that also means listening to what some of the mainstream media has to say. And as I'm not, I'm not implying that they're ever really trying to inform you, but you need to have the full picture, including what they're trying to lie to you about, right? You know, And that more in more in particular applies to independent media. Don't just listen to one channel, right? Listen to, you know, put geopolitics and empire, listen to the last American vagabond, listen to, you know, other people that have completely different opinions and, and, and try to get that information and think for yourself, that's, you know, but just don't get lost into one thing. But more than ever, I think what we need to do is vote with our dollar, vote with our actions. I don't think your vote on that piece of paper does anything. And if you want to hear why I think that I've done entire shows on it. But regardless, we can see that the system doesn't work and that it just continues to flop. Trump supporters are seeing that right now. Right. The people that voted for Obama, they he was going to change the world, but the Republicans wouldn't let him. Right. Now, it's Trump was going to change the world, but the Democrats wouldn't let him. Even if you're right. Doesn't that show you the system is broken, right? So we need to start realizing that actions outside of that paradigm are what we need to be doing. I think voting is the least politically active thing you can possibly do. I really mean that. So get out there, talk to people, write, make flyers, make a YouTube channel, make a website, march down the street, talk to your neighbor, you know, take action and resist these things. Right. I I understand that there are potential side effects of this and, and legal challenges. But if we don't stand up now and do something, they will be able to push this right over our heads. And that won't be what we want. So I feel it needs to be positive. Right? This is the beginning of this change that we are going to usher in. And I really want to emphasize that again that they would not be doing all of this if they didn't care what we, if they didn't realize we were doing something. If we weren't affecting the narrative, if we weren't waking up people faster than it ever has been happening, they wouldn't be censoring us. They wouldn't care what we were doing. They're doing it because we're changing minds and that scares the hell out of them. That's the truth.
0: Yeah, that, that was the other point when you, when you said, even if all, you know, as, as Black said, um, you know, there's nothing you can do. Just like doing what we're doing, you know, putting our our effort into making these channels and doing these interviews is the right thing to do. Like even if you know we're going to end up in this dystopian te- technocracy and things won't change, you, you have to be resisting. You know, you know, even if if though you think the war is going to lose, the you you must. It's the right thing to do. It's, it's to fight for truth, uh, to fight against evil. That's what you have to do. Uh, and as well as you as you talked about mentioning to different uh, perspectives, you know often the people that criticize us are the people that just listen to one source the mainstream media and we we have a large breadth of people that we listen to you know i i, I read and interview you know marxists uh, right wing people people in the center libertarians and you get all this breadth of of knowledge uh, where these people who are just you know criticizing you they're listening to one single source and perspective and again who's the who's the smart crazy one here you know we're listening to to everyone and in terms of censorship, you know, I guess one of my final topics, you know, the big tech and, and other censorship is insane. Uh, on election day, they took down BitChute. Uh, and as as well, they were me- messing with uh, Epic. Epic with a K dot com was, was uh, being um, attacked and painted as like some kind of extremist uh, website because a lot of the alternative channels such as Gab are being hosted uh, on Epic. Uh, and so, you know, they're now attacking the infrastructure that allows us to remain ungovernable, you know, and if they take that down, it's like, okay, we really, we don't have much left. You just, I, I haven't had time to see it. I think it was published today. You had a goodbye YouTube party with the big names in alternative media, such as James Corbett, Dan Dix of Press for Truth. Um, it's uh, Joshua Sigurdson of World Alternative Media and Derek Bros of Conscious Resistance. So, you know, what's your assessment of the censorship s- situation?
1: It's going to get worse. It's going to keep going. I mean, that again to your, to our point that they are, as long as we're changing minds, they just can't abide that. They can't allow us. I mean, look at, look at the content that I keep putting out or the thing like in regard to this election, the reason that they censored the, the information and the reason they couldn't even pick a claim for the first few months, oh, he's impersonating himself. Oh, it's, you know, remember that there's like, they claimed I was literally impersonating the last American vagabond. It's because they don't even know how to deal with this because I'm sourcing the CDC. I'm showing you studies from the NIH that show you the opposite of what they're telling you. And it's like, oh, you know, he, oh, he's not being uh hyperbolic. Oh, he's not aggressively putting into a conspiracy or oh, he's not, you know, talking about one part or the other. It's it it they don't know what to do. And I, there's a lot more people like that doing that. It's not unique. It's not even that hard to do. It's just incredible how how ubiquitous it's become to oh to be that it's okay to just state things that are completely unverified, to run with things that are, you know, politically convenient and having, you know, because they know people will come pat you on the head. You know, you dive into Russia Gate, you get the entire elite circles going, yay, look, this guy's on the right path, even though there's nothing behind it. You know, that the censorship will continue because we are reaching people. So I recommend you get out there and you and you put your content as many places as possible. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't focus on one platform. Like I get the idea of making sure people know like where your hub is. But I argue we should all make our hubs our websites. That's where people should be going, you know, because this is going to get more intense. They're going to start going after domains and servers, right? So what we need to do is build things outside of that. That's what the idea of agorism and, you know, to work outside of their system. I'm, for one, I'm going in the other direction. Now, I need things like computers and so on to be able to reach people. but I'm not, you know, my car is from like 1986. My TV, you know, the thing. It's important to have things that are kind of not within the mechanism of control that they're currently building. And we need more person to person interaction. We don't need them to be involved. And this is why there are things that are, you know, there are some uh, cryptos out there that are building towards that, where you can have person to person things like Chainlink that I really believe in. That yes, they are being used and utilized by other bigger entities, but their point of using Chainlink or things like that. Are ledgers that allow you to say you and I want to exchange goods. We don't need a bank. We don't need some group in the middle. All we need is that the, the the contract to put in the the information from both sides. We both agree with it, and it executes, and you get my thing, and I get you get and I get your thing. You know why do we need the government involved and the bank involved? Right? We have this illusion that we need them to build the roads. <laughs> we build the roads. They just stand there and point and tell us what to do. Right? The the government is just an entity, and we need to continue to fight against that in every possible way. As we're doing now, you know, and, and and in the ways that we can get outside their system. And see, this is going back to that point about like blockchain. You have things like Odyssey, or um, what's another good example, you know, DLive and these groups that have, or, or even Rockfin that are utilizing cryptocurrency aspects. And I think it's pretty clear that they're at least ostensibly fighting for the right reasons and for free speech and for truth. You know, so just another good example of how these things can be used to our benefit. And it's important to use these. And imagine if, if for instance, we never used the Internet and DARPA program that it was, they built it, used it. And all of a sudden now they have this ubiquitous control using the Internet and we don't have our channels and our ability to speak to each other. That would have been catastrophic. Right. The point is, we used it and now we're changing the scene. We need to do the same thing there, you know. All right. Any um, any final thoughts for us? Ah, uh, you know, just the same point. Think, you know, think, think for yourself. Question everything, which is what I'm constantly saying. And uh, people like to pretend like that is uncomfortable. Like I don't want to live like that, but it's not really our choice. You know, they've created a world where it's it's not it's it's, it's smart to be questioning everything you're being being confronted with. So today, it's never been more important to do so. And I think more importantly than that, support your independent media. Right? Support support geopolitics and empire and make sure that he can continue to do his work because he's doing it for the right reasons. And that's what we need to do is vote with your dollar. You know, that that's really, in my opinion, one of the only things they even care about anymore. So, and, th- and
0: thanks for having me, brother. I appreciate being on. Yeah. I had, I had another question. Like, okay. what's the story behind the name of last American vagabond? I've always been curious. Could you tell us?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It well, It, it started, I mean, I, I was all, I've always been kind of a, a rambler, you know, I've traveled a lot my whole life and, I I was actually traveling in an RV around the country in the United States uh, with a buddy of mine, and I forget how it started. I I mean, I I, I'm a chef. I I went to culinary school the CIA, the the Culinary Institute of America, which is the acronym of CIA, which is just funny. But it's Culinary Institute of America. Um, Gotcha. Yeah, I know, right? Right. Well, it's funny. People have like caught things online where I've said like I went to school the CIA, you know, with people that know what that is, and they, oh my god, it's like. takes two seconds of due diligence, but the Napa Valley, uh, the Culinary Institute of America. And so I've been a chef my whole life, you know, and I, I along the path suddenly started had my awakening moment, you know, where I'm like, man, this is crazy. Like I'm seeing the same story on Fox versus CNN and they're claiming completely different facts. And it's like, how is that possible? I thought the news was telling us the truth, you know? And so you finally kind of wake up to the reality that we're being fooled. And I decided to start doing something about it. And I never thought it would end up being like this, but I just started a little blog and started writing about it, and I I like the idea of uh, being a vagabond, which doesn't mean, you know, there's there's numerous definitions for it. The point is it's just a traveler, somebody that's continuing to travel, right? So my point and my analogy for it was sort of like our journey to find the truth is never over. You know, it doesn't just end tomorrow when we break a story. It's, you know, we, we I'm ongoing. It's never going to end. Right. We are, we are truth vagabonds, you know? So the last American vagabond was kind of meant to make a kind of a point that, you know, we're in a bad way here, you know, and there's very few people that are actually still striving to find the truth on a daily basis, you know, as well as just kind of a nod to being a traveler. And that picture that right here, that, uh, that's, I took that while I was traveling in Spain. I'm the one that took that picture, (laughs) you know, so that's kind of what it comes back to. And then just, then the site just blew up and, you know, and it got very, you know, it became more about foreign policy and a lot of different things. And I, I really would not be here without the support of the people following us, you know, that are doing this, not because they're getting something in return, they're just sporting it through PayPal or checks just because they believe in what we are doing. Right. That's, That's important. That's that, that wouldn't have happened so many years ago,
0: you know? Oh, it's really cool to to get that background story, uh, and as you said, uh, for me to get your info to watch your show, I do go to the website. If I've got it bookmarked, and I subscribe to your email list at thelastamericanvagabond.com. Um, you know, because of all the deep platforming, I don't know where the best places to find you uh, are anymore. So, if what what, platform, what platforms are you using uh, principally right now?
1: Um, I would say the best ones to go to, well, first of all, like always the website, if you go there, you will get the article. I put up an article page for every video that I do, and it has all the source links. That's where you'll find the links anyway, because it won't be on the, on the, uh, info under the videos, but that's the article page. will have the link to the video. You, and I'm usually these days using Odyssey or library, which is kind of one of the same. Um, cause they're one of the only ones that have like a good embed, you know, but Odyssey's the good one. BitChute's a good one to go to. Um, and I think I may rockfin is another good one right now. That's where most of the content goes, but the website's where you really want to go because regardless of what works the best that day is what I'll be using in the video player, you know, so just the website, but I do want to add to something I, I mentioned in the the Google goodbye Google or YouTube party is that, and I've mentioned this a little bit, but it's getting closer to the point here that I I am in, I am in, uh, involved in uh, working on a new, a new platform right now. And I I can't, I can't get into too much detail because we're still, you know, so many months out and you know how competitive this is. And I don't even mean in regard to other people, you know, honestly trying to make companies. I mean, competitive in the sense that YouTube and Google will literally destroy something if they see it coming. Right. So it's, it's a, it's a really interesting thing and it's, it's about bringing the best parts of all the things we have and making, and I'm telling you, I mean, if it's what I think it is and is becoming, it'll change the scene. So, it'll be, and so hope, keep keep an eye out for that. And that's where,
0: at that time, you'll be finding most of my work. So thanks well, for I having hope, me on. I hope that that, that comes, comes to pass. So, all right. Thanks for being on Geopolitics and Empire uh, and continue the great work. Thanks, brother. I hope you enjoyed this Geopolitics and Empire podcast and interview. I would like to remind you that our website is geopoliticsandempire.com, and you can sign up for our mailing list that goes out each weekend with the latest podcast and a long collection of important news headlines. It's good to sign up for the newsletter in case we experience censorship and deplatforming. You can help the Geopolitics and Empire podcast by subscribing to and interacting with all of our channels such as YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Gab, Minds, and Steemit. You can also help us by leaving a rating and review, on your favorite podcast platforms such as iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, Spreaker, and so on. Finally, if you value our work and our mission, and would like to see us continue interviewing experts from across the political spectrum, please consider leaving a one-time donation via PayPal or Bitcoin, or becoming a regular monthly supporter on our Patreon. All the links can be found on geopoliticsandempire.com. Thanks for listening.